Coming up on this edition of The Plate Meeting... You're basically putting misinformation into the World Wide Web and trying to generate hatred of umpires. And that is irresponsible and should not be done to any profession ever. Uh, and it, it's, it's disgraceful and embarrassing. We're going to talk about electronic strike zones and computers evaluating umpires at the plate. I'm doing the intro for this episode because electronic zone review is sort of my thing. T-Mac will be by shortly, don't worry. He'll play bad cop to my mostly good cop, though I will call out big mistakes when I see him. And we're going to talk about how to use Brooks Baseball, what it is, what it actually does, and why the internet community at large is, well, using it wrong. We're going to also speak with Dylan Yep of Umpire Auditor, whose claim to fame is something entitled Worst Call of the Day. Don't worry, there are plenty of mistakes there, too, that we're going to call out. And we're going to conclude with an interview with Mark T. Williams, economics professor at Boston University, whose recent umpire study is, as Mark himself admits, subject to the supposition that MLB's publicly facing data is accurate, which we will in turn demonstrate is a false narrative that unfairly turns fans against umpires who are up against a deeply flawed, if not significantly inaccurate, system. That's coming up on The Plate Meeting, and it starts now. We welcome you to The Plate Meeting. It's Gil, and T-Mac will be along shortly. In this episode, we'll give you a master class on the strike zone debate in baseball. We'll talk about the history of how such a concept came to be, what it looks like now, and what the pitfalls are of a system that appears to prioritize broadcast availability over training and accuracy. We'll speak to Dylan Yep of Umpire Auditor and Boston University Professor Mark T. Williams, whose recent study of league-wide ball strike data caused a stir across baseball. But first, let's recap the history of electronic balls and strikes. How did we get here, and what does here mean, anyway? We teased this a little bit after MLB in the lawsuit the league is defending from Angel Hernandez petitioned the court to order Hernandez to turn over communications between himself and the umpire's union. Now follow this. The name Phil Jansen, who is an administrator at the union, came up in litigation, and we went back to the early 90s to trace how Jansen, an American League supervisor at that time, wanted to use technology in the locker room to help train umpires and improve pitch calling through a simulator designed by Dr. Grant E. Sechrist and Burl Hartman called Situation Awareness Training System. It was originally designed for U.S. Air Force personnel so they could train in fighter situations, something that they were willing to modify for use in professional baseball under the name Silver Strike for the purpose of umpire training, something that the doctor actually said, hey, baseball, you can have this for free as part of a training package if you pick it up. Think about cage work at umpire school. Now think about batting practice that a team takes on game day. The umpire's version of batting practice in the locker room would be cage work, except that it's not a real cage, it's a simulator. And the simulator could throw 50 pitches on the outside corner if you wanted to make sure that you had the slider ready to go. Or you could see 50 knuckleballs because you have a Tim Wakefield or another knuckleballer on the mound and you want to get that pitch right that night. That's what the tech was supposed to be for, training. Now, we talked about how the commissioner at the time, Faye Vincent, felt that umpires were mistreated by the owners, how the owners in turn voted him out of his job and replaced him with Bud Selig, who appeared to do the job, well, a bit differently. 
For instance, Seal League, according to author Bruce Weber, wanted to rein in the umpires, from what I don't really know, but he was in charge when the AL and NL staffs merged into one MLB staff, or as Weber wrote, he set the stage for the confrontation between umpires and baseball in 1999. And although that confrontation did prove explosive in 99, and although it may have quieted down in the year since, it clearly hasn't gone away. For instance, Seelig's office terminated Jansen shortly after the merge. After all, Jansen was still touting the idea of a simulator to train umpires, while the league really wanted to go with a system called Questech instead because Questech would rate and rank the umpires rather than train them. We'll get back to that decision in a second. But for now, John Hirschbeck was president of the World Umpires Association at the time, and he received a 10-day suspension in 2003 for threatening a league lawyer by the name of Rob Manfred, of all things, over Jansen's dismissal. Compare that to MLB in the modern era, refusing to suspend players such as Ian Kinsler even one game for personal attacks on umpires after games, while suspending Joe West three games, for comments about Adrian Beltre that Beltre himself laughed off as a joke, and you'll begin to understand why the wristband protest of 2017 took place. Anywho, the mid-2000s saw Questech come into play, and that eventually turned into Sport Vision's Pitch FX as Questech, the company, fell apart, replete with an impending FBI investigation, whistleblowers, and a publicly traded stock that crashed to virtual worthlessness. Sport Vision, from the get-go, said that their system had a margin of error. PitchFX has a margin of error, is what they said. And when MLB brought the concept in-house and in the form of StatCast in 2017, we stopped getting information about the system's error. The public communication about error stopped. Actually, Sport Vision's lawsuit against MLB Advanced Media alleging patent infringement about the PitchFX to StatCast transitions is still pending in court the last time I checked. But here's the problem. And this goes back to the decision to go with Questech over the pitch-calling umpire training simulator. Questech gained favor with MLB and executive Sandy Alderson and Ralph Nelson, both of whom Selig brought into the office despite neither of them having any umpiring experience, yet they oversaw umpires. So Questech gets picked up by them because of its sales pitch about rating and ranking umpires. Nothing to do with training. Remember, Jansen wanted training. That's the only reason he wanted the tech. He wanted the cage work simulator type program, which MLB purportedly said no to. So the umpires union actually sued the league in the mid-2000s because of that. They said, hey, where's the training? Dr. Sechrist himself, for instance, appeared quite upset that the umpires weren't even involved in Questex development and actually wrote an analysis in 2002 called The Mismanagement of Professional Umpires. As we'll hear from Dylan Yap of Umpire Auditor, the system in use today was never designed for accuracy. It was designed for expediency and broadcast. And that appears to be true. 538, which is owned by ESPN, found system error increased drastically when MLB switched to StatCast in 2017. Sports Illustrated that same year estimated the system had a 1.7-inch margin of error in all directions, not to mention calibration error, vertical zone error, and other complications. When MLB first tested StatCast, actually, according to Joe West, the system missed about 500 pitches in that trial month of April, and as West said, when I say it missed 500 pitches, that didn't mean they called them wrong, they didn't call them at all. The system just didn't acknowledge that the pitch 
existed. It just do over on close call sports. We've observed that phenomenon too. We we've had ejections and written articles about the computer failing to capture pitches or getting the pitches wrong because of calibration error or failing to accurately portray that six foot seven Aaron judge is slightly taller than five foot six Jose Altuve, which affects their vertical strike zones, etc. It's a problem that Brooks baseball suffers from on its game plot that treats every batter the same. Brooks makes no definitive statement about umpire accuracy. That's not what it was designed for, mind you. But that website does leave a graph out there for public consumption, and you're bound to see blatant misuse anytime that happens. Everyone on Brooks gets a strike zone from about 1.5 feet high to 3.5 feet high. And we know that's not accurate because, well, Judge is about a foot taller than Altuve, but per Brooks baseball's strike zone plot for the whole game, they have the exact same strike zone. That makes no sense. Not to mention that according to Brooks Baseball's graph, each baseball is a singular data point. That is to say the green square or the red triangle doesn't reflect that the ball is nearly three inches in diameter. The rule says, the rule book says, it's a strike if any part of the ball passes through any part of the strike zone. But that's not reflected whatsoever in the Brooks visualization. Obviously, that's not just Brooks. It's not going to be reflected in any two-dimensional zone that doesn't account for a 3D plate, and that includes MLB Game Day or Baseball Savant, even TexasLeaguers.com. If a sinker or slider misses the front edge of home plate, the public-facing system will say it's a ball. Even if the pitch, due to its movement, passes through the strike zone at some point behind the front edge of home plate. We at Close Call Sports know this. You know this. But here's the worst part. MLB knows this too. Or if MLB doesn't know it and we don't have any official word that they do or don't, following the data and following what MLB's methods are, it sure looks like they do know it. We know they know, or technically we think we know that they know, or we think that they know that they think they know we know they know. Because they evaluate their umpires using a different standard than that which is used for public consumption. Think about this again. Either MLB knows that the public-facing data is not right, or they have enough concerns or other issues that they have to apply a completely different set of standards when talking to the umpires about ball strikes in private. So outside of that umpiring department bubble, we're left with data that we think is faulty, and we think it's inaccurate, but it's the only public data that's out there. That's it. There's nowhere else to turn. MLB bought a website called Baseball Savant several years ago, and that's the source used by Boston University Economics Master Lecturer Mark Williams for his study. We'll talk to Mark, and he'll tell you readily that his study relies on the supposition that MLB's own data is accurate. Now, I've reviewed the study many times. I've got to say the study does exactly what it was designed to do. It grinds away at the MLB public-facing data and returns results as intended. The process is beyond reproach, the analysis based on the data is procedurally correct. Don't get me wrong. At first, we did take great issue with Mark's study because we knew the resultant numbers were wrong, and I was all ready to ream him for it. I've done this analysis long enough that I know precisely where the study's low percentages came from. I knew they were wrong. I know what pitfalls and mistakes made those numbers turn out the way they did. Yet, in going over all the methodology and the techniques that uh, were involved there, it became quite apparent that the issue wasn't the study's methods. Again, the study does exactly what it was intended to do. The problem is that the study's vital assumption that the underlying data is accurate appears to be itself 
inaccurate or misplaced. Again, it's this core reliance, something that must be true in order for the study to be meaningful. The assumption that MLB provides the public with accurate data that, let's just say, complicates matters. And for reasons we'll get into during the interviews, the public-facing data appears dubious. And to clear it up, whether the PX and the PZ numbers, which weren't even used in Mark's study, uh, are accurate or not, is just one little element that for now is neither here nor there. We don't care about that as much as the issue, even before that we get to that point, that there is no context for these numbers, which means it's open to public interpretation. We're up the creek without a paddle. And we know what happens when the public tries to interpret something. We see it with rules, situations, and announcers all the time. There's a reason that the MLB umpiring department's private evaluation metric called zone evaluation holds that umpires are at least 97% accurate behind the plate, while Mark Williams' study, which again uses baseball savant data, which is another way of saying it uses MLB's public-facing data, shows that umpires are in the 91% range. To recap, one part of MLB says that umpires are over 97% accurate, yet another part of MLB says they're in the 91% range. What's going on? This discrepancy of six points is very concerning, especially when the upper number is within three points of perfection. So six points is a 200% discrepancy. It's like I was driving 55 in a 50 zone and the radar said I was going 60. Or conversely, for a better baseball analogy, the pitcher throws a 97 mile an hour fastball and the radar gun shows 91. That could affect his draft odds, couldn't it? It's as if behind closed doors, one arm of the league is telling umpires they are excelling at their task while another branch of the league on the other side of the doors, the public facing side, is telling the public, that umpires aren't really good at calling balls and strikes. At least that's, that's what it feels like. And to be honest, that's, that's a shame. In front of baseball's mainstream audience, for instance, Commissioner Manfred in 2017 told ESPN, quote, I believe we will get to the point that balls and strikes can be called in real time by a machine. But that same year, he also said at the smaller scale, Pally's Center for Media, quote, in all candor, that technology has a larger margin of error than we see with human umpires. So again, the public hears good things about the robo-ump concept, but dig a little deeper, get beneath the surface, and follow the numbers. You'll see that baseball admits the computer is worse than the human. So the logical question is if, as Manfred says, the tech has a larger margin of error than humans, why are we using tech to evaluate humans at all? How do we guarantee the tech is reliable enough to evaluate humans, given that the league just admitted that the tech has a margin of error that outpaces the human's margin of error? How can we trust the robot? It's something that the league understandably won't dwell on. Could you imagine if suddenly ESPN K-Zone or Fox Tracks is proven unreliable? No, people love blaming umpires. We know that. And inaccurate as it might be, the strike zone box gives them a chance to do just that. We've talked on Close Call Sports many times about how the vertical strike zone is inaccurate. We have empirical evidence that StatCast has missed hundreds of pitches by failing to register them at all, etc. Yet we go back to Dylan's observation that the system wasn't designed for robo on purposes. It was designed for broadcast. Go back to Jansen and the training and how MLB dealt with that, and I think we can confirm that. 
it was never designed to accurately train umpires. It was designed to provide some entertainment element of, hey, I can rank 1 through 76 or 68 at the time. So whether or not the pitch gets logged in StatCast, it needs to quickly reach broadcasters, which it does using that pitch cast application, which appears to indicate that we're back to the days of putting a dot on the screen where we think the pitch is, but we don't have consistent computer support to necessarily back it up. And for that matter, we haven't even talked about the old PitchFX video operator who would manually draw where the, botter, where, where the batter's bottom and the top of the strike zone are based on what the operator thinks it should be, not what it really is. Way back in 2004, going way back, Baseball Prospectus interviewed a Quest Tech operator who admitted that the operators could sometimes set the strike zone too high or too low. Now, they didn't know if that helped or hurt the umpire uh, because that they didn't umpire. They, that wasn't their gig, but they did know that the results would not be accurate if the operator-defined strike zone was not accurate. That makes sense. What's called the pitch table component of the Quest Tech UIS was both the bulk of the postgame CD and the part most susceptible to error, which in turn would hurt the umpire's accuracy and consistency charts. Operators are all based in the ballpark in which they work, which introduces ideas of bias, but that's another topic. The The main thing is that the top and the bottom of the strike zone wasn't consistently set by humans, non-umpiring humans, yet we were using that information to rate and rank umpires. That's weird. Which means that we're substituting a trained umpire's judgment for that of a non-umpiring tech worker from a certain ballpark. As Baseball Prospectus wrote in 2018, the reality, however, is that there are myriad issues with implementing a ball and strike calling system like this for real games. The primary issue is that using machine measurements to call balls and strikes will simply shift disagreements with the call from the umpire to the machine or to the machine's operators. Remember when Kurt Schilling beat up that Quest Tech machine? Yeah, something like that. In any case, we'll be back to speak with Dylan Yep of Umpire Auditor, who readily admits he puts out misinformation. He knows the technology is bad, he knows the data is faulty, he knows the numbers are poor, yet he wants electronic balls and strikes and doesn't care how we get there. We'll talk to this reprehensible person. I mean, that's not mine, that's him. He admits that. When we come back, but one final thought before we head to break. The movement for electronic balls and strikes might come from a video game. In the 90s, Triple Play by EA Sports used to have this box strike zone that's now standard that would appear on the screen and the ball would be thrown in there and called ball strike per the software engineer's parameters and looked like it was 100% accuracy. It was a robot ump, but the pitcher was a robot and the catcher was a robot. Heck, even the baseball itself was a robot. So... If you want that 100% accuracy rate, I recommend you buy a ticket for the next eSports game for baseball. We'll be back with Dylan Yep here on The Plate Meeting. Hi, this is Jack Furlong, founder, president, and CEO of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout all capacities of sports and competition. Please be sure to check out our website at osipfoundation.org to learn about us and some of our programs, such as our blog, The Strike Zone, our podcast, How You Play the Game, our awards programs for student-athletes, and Officials Anonymous, our hotline for sports officials who deal with abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. Once again, that's OSIP Foundation. We welcome you back to the plate meeting powered by Close Call Sports. It's T-Mac, it's Gil with you, and 
Joining us on the hotline is uh, the the head of umpire auditor uh, website uh, that we're going to get into statistically in just a moment. Dylan Yep, our guest. Dylan, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So I guess, you know, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, um, but uh, one of the things we like to do, because our audience doesn't know who you are, they barely know who me and Gil are, uh, is get a little background information. So I guess the first thing I would ask you is, did you, did you play any baseball in your life? I did. Uh, you know, I played baseball since uh, I was a little kid. Uh, I played all the way through uh, college. I, I played club level. Uh, never that great, but uh, I'd like to think that my passion for the game made up for my uh, lack of skills. Uh, I continued to play for a couple years as uh, an adult, but um, I've mostly just uh, mostly just been a fan these days. But more so, I think your area of expertise is where Gil's area of expertise is, and this is not in my lane, and that's statistics. Uh, is that what you you went to NYU and graduated in 2013? What uh, what's your area of concentration? So I actually studied uh, political science in college, but I became very quickly disillusioned with the political system and decided to teach myself to code in the later part of 2013. Um, and that's actually where Umpire Auditor got its start. It was my first project. Can you um, explain what code is to our listening base? Uh, sure. It is, it is basically just a list of instructions that you want your computers to do. Um, it's sort of like, um, it's a little bit like solving a math problem. It's like a math proof, um, but for a computer. Well, folks, it's time to get nerdy. Uh, Gil, take take it away with your uh, your your fantastic statistics and numbers and all that dumb stuff. Oh boy, thanks, Tim. Um, so, I guess the first question about Umpire Auditor is succinctly: How does it work? What does it do? Yeah. So, uh, Umpire Auditor uses pitch data released every day by the MLB to uh, evaluate umpires uh, based on the percentage of calls they get correct and identify the worst call of the day. So currently the MLB uses uh, StatCast, which employs TrackMan, which is a Doppler radar system to track every single pitch. Um, before that, there was uh, PitchFX, which is, which is an optical-based system, but uh, delivered similar data. Um, so this data is available to the public and includes information uh, about where the pitch crosses uh, the front of the plate uh, on an XY coordinate plane. So Umpire Auditor compares these coordinates uh, with the strike zone, with the known strike zone, and the call on the field to determine whether the umpire made the correct call. Um, umpire Auditor also calculates the worst call of the day by distance missed, um, generally the worst uh, called strike of the day, and then I make a video of that every day and tweet it out. Just so we're speaking the same language on this, is, is this what's referenced by the variables like PXPZ, SZ underscore bot, and SZ underscore top? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And just to recap, um, what do each of those variables mean? Sure. So PX uh, refers to uh, the horizontal location of the pitch uh, and feet. Um, PZ is the, the vertical, uh, is, is the location of the vertical dimension. Uh, SZ top refers to the top of the strike zone, and SZ bottom refers to the bottom of the strike zone. Um, SC top and FC bottom are sort of def uh, defined by the operator of the system. Um, it's a little bit 
it's a little bit complicated because frankly the the rules defining the strike zone are are a little bit complicated um but it's s e top is roughly uh the midpoint between the top of the shoulders and the top of the pants um and s e bottom is uh like the line at the hollow beneath the kneecap okay perfect so we're we're all on the same page because what fascinates me about this is I look things up, especially with the PXPZ system, and I'm, I'm looking at Umpire Auditor, at Baseball Savant, Brooks Baseball, UEFL FX, which is the way that we do our thing, and it's you know it seems that we all get the data from the same place. We all get it from MLB, because um, I don't think there's anyone else other than MLB with TrackMen and StatCast that actually calculates the PX and PZ and returns those results from us. So we get the same data for the most part, and I noticed that we we generate drastically different results. So I think that's I, I think it's interesting to get into that because that speaks to a methodology difference between these sources. For for you for you at um, Umpire Auditor, speaking solely with PX, because as you said, PZ with the with the bomb in the top of the strike zone can get a little bit complicated. But PX is a little better because the plate the left and the right don't move. What values of PX, if you can recall, do you use to delineate the 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 limits for the strike zone on the left side and then on the right side. Yeah. So that actually is something I changed very recently. Um, I am, I'll be the first to admit, I'm probably doing one of the most uh, basic analyses of umpire data out there compared to say Brooks baseball or you guys at close call sports. Um, I was uh, using the, I was simply comparing the PX data uh, with uh, the width of the plate, which is known as, which is, you know, 17 inches. Um, that was probably a little too simplistic. I was not taking account for um, the size of the ball, uh, the radius of the ball, which I have recently implemented as of uh, a few days ago. So uh, I guess it would be the strikes that I have the strikes on roughly now as uh, 17 inches plus um, half the width of the ball. So uh, 2.94 inches divided by two on each side of the plate. Got it. So so that comes out to, if I recall, it's it's something like 0.83 or something in that range. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Okay, yeah. Because I, I was looking at that, and, you know, it's it's something that uh, someone had brought that uh, had brought that up, and, and I, I remember when we were starting out, we, we did that um, a long time ago. We, we made that change because someone said, hey, there's 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 a width to the baseball and it's actually uefl user hbk314 who's the one who reached out to you on twitter to say hey umpire auditors methods are wrong you're not counting for the width of the baseball so your data is wrong you're making umpires look worse than they are anyway uh tmac can go on this one a little bit better than i can so let me hand it off to him yeah we're talking with dylan yep the uh head of uh, umpire auditor I, I you know dylan you basically have mentioned that your dad, your your data was, has been faulty since you started the website just a few seconds ago. Are you going to issue retractions on all of the incorrect data that you put up over the last uh, well since you've been doing this? I plan on issuing uh, a blanket retraction, sort of where I discuss what my methodology was before, what it is now, how that has impacted things in the past. Um, frankly, um, I do not. So umpire auditor, the point of umpire auditor for me is actually 
I don't mean it to be like a rigorous analysis and evaluation of umpires. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I have um, a bias towards believing in a a computer driven a robot um, a robot strike zone. Um, and so the main point of my application is basically say, um, hey, I think there are a lot of problems with human umpiring, uh, not for lack of effort uh, by the umpires themselves, but it's something that I think we really need to look at and change. And for me, the bread and butter of umpire auditor is really the worst call of the day because even if the data is like a little bit off on that, even if there's a margin of error, um, all of the worst calls of the day are very egregious errors. And that not is all. No, that's not right. That's not true. You've had, you, you haven't had all, all, they're not all egregious. They're, that, that, addition, okay. they're, not, they're not all egregious. And, and I think it's completely irresponsible of you to not issue, not, to not take back every single thing that you put up there as being incorrect. You're basically putting misinformation into the World Wide Web and trying to generate hatred of umpires. And that is irresponsible and should not be done to any profession ever. Uh, and it, it's it's disgraceful and embarrassing. And for you to so not I, go back and correct every single thing that you've done is is, is frankly wrong. And and I and I appreciate thanks to the stuff that has been issued to you of, of late that you have decided to go back and change your methodology. That is responsible, and that is and that is, that shows that you have integrity. What would show that you have more integrity is going back and saying, look, I was wrong. Uh, I all the stuff that I've done is incorrect prior to this but I've done my best to attempt to change it. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say is that, why do you hate umpires? Um, let me address the first part of the question and then I'll get to uh, the second part. Um, so uh, what I was getting to is that I was going to issue, I'm planning on issuing a blanket retraction and then the stats will all be updated on, so the front end of uh, umpire auditors primarily hosted on Bloomberg Business Week, which is where uh, I used to work and I license my data to them for a while. But so all I will issue a retraction and I will provide a link to all of the updated rankings, all of the updated worst calls. Um, that is the way that it seems easiest to issue that retraction. We're talking about the, uh, the head of the head of umpire auditor. Dylan, uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. You've also brought up though on your website uh, and in Twitter uh, things that you did not think were appropriate on the basis. Uh, one specific comes to mind, uh, play with Lance Barrett at third base, and I believe it was the Rockies. So it's not only plate work that you don't think umpires are good at, you think umpires also struggle on the bases, correct? Uh, that is definitely not the main point of uh, umpire auditor. I but actually you have think done, you have that, done that. Um, yes, yes or no, you have done that. That is something that you have done. Honestly, I do not recall doing that, but you, I also have a terrible have, memory. We'll, 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 I, okay, we'll show it to you on our website. Here's the other thing. I will take your word for anything positive about umpires on your website? Ever anything positive about umpires? Uh, yeah, well, yes. I have said positive things uh, about umpires in the sense that, okay, so I think this gets back to... Uh, the second part of your original question, which was, why do I hate umpires? Uh, I want to be clear. I do not hate umpires. I think Major League Baseball umpires are the very best in the game, very best in the world at what they do. But at the same time, 
we are asking, I feel like we are asking too much of humans. We are asking umpires to track a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that is cutting across the plate to be, to be accurate within, you know, a one or two millimeters. That is simply not a task that humans can do consistently well. Again, I think so umpires, what, I don't think, sorry, what are you asking? I want to continue, yeah, I want to continue this still. It's fascinating to me because you watch the Sunday Night Baseball game in the week like everybody else does. And do you see pitches that hit the dirt that stat cast has as K's, as strikes? Is that really what you want? You want uh, those pitches that hit the ground that um, that robots would call strikes? You want it, this would, you admit uh, that this would drastically change the game, correct? I mean, you would, you would admit that. Having a robot are, ball, yeah. letter of the law balls and strikes, with the cube strike zone, not a front edge, not raising the strike zone, this would drastically change the game. That's what you're looking for. What I am looking for is a more fair game. And I want to – would it be all right if I tell you why I think that we almost don't have a choice at this point? This is my feeling. As technology in baseball has improved, so has transparency. You know, fans of the game now have on-demand access to instant replays, you know, overhead camera views, comprehensive data on every single pitch – you know, nearly every broadcast now superimposes the strike zone on the screen for every pitch. You know, it's, it's a fantastic way for fans to engage more deeply with the game, but it also means that umpires have never faced more intense scrutiny. You know, I don't have data on this, but I suspect, at least maybe in my interactions with social media, that fans are becoming increasingly enraged with, with umpires, even as empirically they're actually improving every single year. But now the tools are available to the public to scrutinize every single call. You know, Baseball Savant has uploaded a video for every pitch since 2018, and they're all comprehensively searchable. You know, and now we have platforms like Twitter to distribute every mistake to a massive audience in seconds. There's no turning back on technology. And to quell the rage, it feels like baseball either needs to find a way to change the culture of fans to make unfairness more amenable to fans or to just make the game more fair. You keep saying that everything needs to be fair. Everything needs to be perfect, you know, and fair. I mean, you don't want a world with human element. You, you probably love self-driving cars. I mean, I mean, it seems like it's illogical because that, that, there'd be no accidents with self-driving cars, right? Uh, I, I don't know if my feelings about self-driving cars are, are, are relevant. Uh, we have the technology. All cars should be self-driving. Well, we... The problem is we don't have the technology, and that's that's been demonstrated by some of the failures of self-driving cars. I'm glad, you, I'm, I'm glad you said we don't have the technology. I'm glad you brought that up. Because, Gil, in how many of the objections on ball strikes this year has the technology by Major League Baseball not worked? So we're, what we're looking at is we are looking at an issue, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Dylan. You're familiar with the term post-game processing? Yes. Yeah, and so succinctly, post-game processing occurs when, generally speaking, it's overnight, maybe the next day early, when MLB adjusts some numbers, adjusts some figures, and puts out uh, new data with, with modified statistics for the ball's strikes measurements. Um, as far as post-game processing is concerned, I think that would hinder the ability of computers to call pitches in real time. Would you agree with that? Uh Yes, as yes, as the system currently exists, it is not acceptable. It is not good enough right now. So, so the que- so I guess the question, because on the one hand, you want to put the computers in to call the balls and strikes, but at the other hand, we we don't have a system that can do it quite yet. 
Um, what, what would you suggest as an implementation of the technology into the game to, uh, to get the computers in knowing that they're not exactly real-time accurate? Sure. So there are, okay, there are a couple ways I would approach this. Um, first of all, the technology, okay, so on a general level, the technology needs to improve, right? But the current pitch tracking technology was not actually designed to be a robot umpire. It is a system designed for broadcast. Data has to get beamed to TV trucks fast enough to get the pitch tracking rendered on TV. And the current system sacrifices accuracy and, and time for data processing for, for speed and an improved viewing experience for the fan. Accuracy is important, but right now it's not the number one priority. And I suspect that many of the technical challenges these systems currently face would be resolved if these systems were designed to be the umpire. Companies right now are not sufficiently incentivized to solve these technical problems because the MLB has not made a commitment to robot umpires. They're not going to spend millions of dollars getting this stuff right if the MLB won't even say that they want it. Um, so for more like specific implementation details of a robo-stripe zone, um, there are a number of concerns we would have to address. Um, for example, you don't want the computer system going down and then there's like a massive delay in the game as they try and like figure out what to do next. Or you have like an umpire on standby, you know, that would, a human umpire on standby, that would be ridiculous. So we would need to develop redundant systems um, to, prohibit, to, to allow the game to continue. So here's a, it, here's a philosophical question then. If we have a system yeah. right now that is sacrifices accuracy for expediency, how do we know that the system is accurately portraying that umpires are inaccurate on certain pitches? Well, we know that the current system is accurate to within a certain margin of error. We knew that pitch FX was accurate to within about an inch. It's not, I, I don't know if public data is available on TrackMan and how accurate it is, but I would be surprised if it was significantly worse than that, especially now that we're a few years into the implementation. Um, but I think at the very least, we can identify the calls that umpires made incorrectly that are greater than, you know, say, two or three inches, of which there are many. And so the question is, first of all, you admit margin bear exists, but you don't use it, which is kind of interesting. We, we have this issue where we don't have a reliable computer as is, and you mentioned that the incentive isn't there for development of an accurate computer. So why would it be better to put a computer at the moment there than keeping humans on the field calling the pitches the way that the game's been played for 120 years? I'm not necessarily sure it would be better in the moment. But I think that as a game, as a, as, well, as a league, the MLB needs to make a commitment towards a higher percentage of correct calls based on how the rules are defined. Okay. And, you know, this is something that affects all of us who do this pitch tracking thing, uh, because we all get the same data, which is faulty, and we know that it's faulty, uh, but we use it because there's nothing else out there. And just as you said... You know, there's nothing there other than PXPZ size bot top. And we know that the numbers aren't necessarily great. You know, we know that there's a margin of error. Sports Illustrated in 2017 said that the margin of error was 1.7 inches in all directions. And in a game where we're looking at the difference of a strike that's, let's say, if it's a millimeter this way or that way, it changes the whole thing. That's a bit of an issue that we have such a large margin of error. That's That's just measurement error. Obviously, we have calibration error that people have talked about where we don't even know 
that the left and the right of the strike zone are lined up correctly in a given stadium. Uh, you know, how, how would we correct for that? How do you correct for that? Because you put out the worst call of the day uh, every morning. Mm-hmm. How do you make corrections for those types of errors? Sure. I, I don't, I don't make corrections for those, for those types. I mean, if an error is particularly egregious and I, you know, sometimes uh, the app will then generate the worst call of the day and I'll see it. It's a pitch that missed by, you know, 18 inches that was called a strike. Then I know it's wrong or I can look at the video and tell this is definitely bad data. Um, but as for the actual, uh, yeah, for, as for the, for, you know, track band system, uh, that's actually at the stadium, yeah, they're going to need to put a lot of work into calibration, you know, maybe even every inning, you know, what they, to generally to, to calibrate these, uh, systems, they'll stick like a foam board at the front of say home plate, uh, have people throw pitches at the board and then compare where the pitch, you know, broke through the foam board and compare that to the actual data that that track man uh responds with um so maybe they'll have to like calibrate every inning i do not feel personally as you know a single you know software engineer i do not know how to correct uh the data in its current form but i am of the belief that of a, in a significantly large enough data set which you know i feel like you know hundreds of thousands of pitches every year are that over time it will average out to be largely correct. Okay, very yeah. The, you know the the data is large enough. We I'm sure you're familiar with the study from uh, Boston University from uh, Professor Mark Williams. Four million yeah. was his data set, if if I recall right. Something something crazy like that, right? Uh, yes, four million's a lot. I, I would say that is sufficient sample size. Um, my issue naturally is that it's it's essentially uncorrected data. It's raw data from the system. So if there are any mistakes, if there are any widespread mistakes, other than let's say if there's a post-game process that gets implemented, then obviously the correction uh, gets sent, but that's not even the final number that's corrected. We still have all of the other potential errors within that data that we're analyzing. Uh, MLB has this system for its umpires called zone evaluation. And here's the great and the bad thing of it. Zone evaluation is secret. No one knows how it works because it's an internal property of MLB. They call it, you know, they call it their proprietary baby. So they're not going to tell anyone how it works. Mm-hmm. So the good of that is for the umpires. Uh, it, it, it says, you know what? Our system has errors, so we're not going to dock you points if the pitch might have been subject to that error. Uh, we're not going to say it's an incorrect call just because let's say it's 0.831 or something for PX and the value of the pitch is 0.832. We're not going to dock you for that because that could be an erroneous value. And based on all of that, uh, we know that the very few public statements that they make about zone evaluation, umpires are operating at about 97, a little more than 97%, probably probably 97.5 or higher than that because that number is a few years old and umpires have been improving every year uh, as as you and and Mark Williams and many other people have noted, but I always find it fascinating. And and T Max a little bit more blunt than I am, but I always find it fascinating that uh, the the league's internal system says, you know what, umpires, your your error rate is within three percent of perfection. You know, it's less than three percent. And the 
we go outside to the sort of the, the public way of interpreting the data. And, and by and large, the umpires are coming out at 9, 10, or even more a percent of an error rate. I always find that gap very interesting. And again, it's the same data, so it must be the methodology that's different. And I just, you know, the, the one side is that error is taken into consideration on MLB side. We sort of split the middle. We take some error, but we don't do as much as MLB does in, in our calculation. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like umpire auditor, you know, you, you let's say it's 0.831 on your end or 0.83 or 0.829 or whatever it is, right? Um, if a pitch is mm-hmm. 0.81, you, you're going to say all else equal, of course, that pitch is a strike. Uh, if a pitch is 0.85, all else equal, you'll say that pitch is a ball. There's no middle ground. It, it, do I have that about right? Yes. Okay. So there's no border. There's no way to ch- check the borderline. And then as far as the vertical strike zone is concerned, you mentioned earlier that it's based on operator input. Uh, well, the uh, the StatCast system. Well, the pitch FX system was based on operator input to define SC bottom and SC top. Uh, TrackMan and StatCast actually uses um, uses a database of basically top and bottom strikes for uh, like each batter as defined by umpires in the past, which is a little bit ironic. So but. we're using umpires to grade umpires. Uh, yes, effectively. Okay, um, that's fine. Uh, I always find it interesting because, you know, the first thing I notice on the post-game processing numbers, and I'm sure you know, notice this too, is that the bottom and the tops of the strike zone, those values get changed overnight all the time. Yes. And, you know, I, it's, it's, this is not, you know, one place that does. This is ESPN K-Zone. This is, you know, tr- uh, Fox Tracks, whatever they call it, right? They use the pitch cast component of MLB's system to do their to feed their live graphics. And it displays things and people think certain things that the umpires miss certain calls. And then the post-game processing happens the next day, and we find out the umpire was right the whole time, um, or that they were less incorrect than we thought they were, or sometimes that they were more incorrect than we thought they were. Uh, but it's not like that correction ever sees the light of day for by and large the majority of baseball fans right yes the 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 word irresponsible was used earlier and i think that the word that irresponsible goes it's not umpire auditor or anything it goes beyond the scope it goes to the core of how we evaluate balls and strike and how we operate the pitch cast system on uh, october 7th and I know I, I don't expect you to remember this or anything like that, but I'm just looking at one of the worst calls of the day. Um, mm-hmm. There was a 3-0 pitch to Ronald Acuna in the Dodgers-Braves uh, playoff game, NLDS game three. It was a 3-0 pitch up in the zone that was called a strike. The computer says that it missed by f- 5.14 inches. I looked at the replay. Um, the batter doesn't want any part of that 3-0 pitch. So instead of crouching, he sort of stands up half pretending like he might swing at the pitch, but we know he's not going to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what the, you know, I mean, 
you, you know what the definition of the strike zone is, obviously. You, you mentioned it earlier that it's the halfway point, but, you know, the midpoint, so to speak, between the top of the pants and the top of the shoulders, right? Yes. Uh, to your uh, knowledge, yeah. is there any way that MLB or whoever does the strike zone corrects for the fact that a batter who might completely deviate from this, quote, average zone, if, let's say, a batter stands up in the middle of the pitch, obviously the strike zone moves up. Why doesn't the box move up, too? And I know it's beyond your the scope of your site, but do you have any theory as why we're not seeing moving boxes on the screen? I suspect it's because, you know, okay, I will, I'll be, I've never umpired. Uh, you know, I don't have training that way. But, um, so the actual, so the actual rule in the rule book uh, at the end of the, the whole kneecap and midpoint thing is that the strike zone shall be determined from the batter's stance as the batter is prepared to swing at a pitched ball, uh, which is very much open to interpretation. But I suspect that umpires are interpreting that in a way to basically keep the strike zone consistent across the entire at-bat. And, I mean, I don't know why the superimposed strike zone doesn't actually move. It might be it might be a technical thing. Maybe it's like too annoying to do, too much data processing. But I suspect that in real life, like uh, if you compare, if you look at the actual outcomes of, of at bats and umpires' real strike zones, I suspect that they do not change pitch to pitch, even if the batter stands up or squats down further. We're talking with Dylan Yep, the uh, creator of Umpire Auditor. You know, it's interesting, and I have a prior deal, and I will tell you that some of the hardest things to do is when a guy stands straight up, and you're, you're basically going to call the strike zone the way he's standing. What makes it difficult is when a guy does that bunt, takes a bunt on like 3-0 or 2-0, and he gets down in a deep crouch, and the ball looks like it's like out his letters, but he's really just trying to manipulate the strike zone, and you strike it. You know, and then, oh, my goodness, everybody, that ball's up, up by this chin. But really, he's just trying to manipulate the strike zone. I know that that is not, a, is not something that, you know, that I think Major League Baseball is, has made sure in the, in the stats that those things aren't taken into account. But it, does, it may account for sometimes when you see uh, the, a worse call of a day. And that, that, I believe that three, you talked about that 3 the 3-1 grand slam, that kind of worked out for, uh, for one team, maybe, maybe not the other. Bill, do you have any plans to umpire ever? Honestly, uh, the job is uh, the job seems too hard if not enough reward. Uh, I'm the first to admit that umpires take way too much crap from people, and uh, you know I I certainly admire those who are willing to do it. Do you think that you're guilty in some regard trying to be a provocateur and uh, maybe elicit some of that, as you said, crap that umpires take by putting out a worse call of the day every day of the baseball season? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, that is a consequence of what I'm doing. It's not my main purpose, but, yeah, I'll be, the, I'll be the first to admit that I've seen, you know, a lot of the Twitter replies that really, uh, you know, garner a lot of, a lot of traction. Uh, they're the ones that uh, – where people are, like, super upset. Yeah. And I, I think it's an unfortunate consequence, but if it means that we get to a point where, for me, baseball is more fair and uh, – Honestly, I, I think having a fair and consistently called strike zone is crucial to the integrity of the game. And it will continue to grow increasing, increasingly important as people continue to scrutinize it more. 
so I'm willing to, yeah, I'm willing to be a bit of a provocateur uh, to find that goal. Have you ever thought, I mean, your website is really negative and you don't come across as a real negative person. Um, have you ever thought about putting a best call of the day on your website to try to instill a little positivity? Because negativity breeds negativity, breeds negativity, breeds negativity. And there's a lot of anger and, and craziness out in our world right now. Have you ever thought about being a little more positive to the people that are, that are uh, bloodthirsty going on your website every day? You know, I, I have thought about it, uh, but at the end of the day, my goal with Umpire is Umpire Auditor is to do one thing and to do one thing well, and it's to get people to the point where they're on board with a robot strike zone. So that's, your, that's your only that goal. A, that is my primary goal. Um, I, of course, have other goals with it. Uh, general umpire rankings, just having fun, delivering content that people find compelling and enjoy. Uh, but my primary takeaway, I hope that people get from Umpire Auditor, is that we can do better. Yeah, we can. I mean, we can do better in a lot of ways by not going to your website and checking out your stuff, but it's ridiculous. Anyway, I'm going to say this. I, I, I appreciate you coming on um, because I, I will say this. There are others that won't back up and come and, 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 and join us on the program, and, and you've got the stones and the guts to come on here and back up what you're putting out there, which takes a lot of – I mean, I really appreciate that part of it. Because that same can't be said for everybody. And, uh, and while I uh, will completely and vehemently disagree with what you say, I will always defend your right to have your opinion. And uh, I certainly appreciate uh, you joining us on the plate meeting. Absolutely. And, and thanks for having me. I, I have huge respect for what you all do at Close Call Sports. Um, and I have a ton of respect for umpires, even if maybe umpire auditors doesn't always come off that way. Yeah, not 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 buying it. Uh, we're we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll have more with Gil and T-Max. Stay with us. You're listening to the Plate Meeting, powered by Close Call Sports. Hey there, it's Gil. Do you know that we are on Facebook and Twitter? Umpire Ejections is the Twitter handle and the Facebook name. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you can stay up to date with all the latest umpire news ejection reports and other fun discussion and videos. That's the UEFL on Twitter and Facebook. We welcome you back to the plate meeting powered by Close Call Sports. It's T-Mac, it's Gil, and our next guest on this edition is Mark Williams, Boston University Professor of Economics. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, thanks for having me. So uh, Gil is going to get wonky with the data in a moment, but what I'm trying to do here is get a little background on you. First of all, did you play baseball growing up? I did. Yeah, I love baseball. And I grew up in a very small town in Delaware. And eventually our team, not my team, but the team two uh, years after me won the uh, Senior League World Series. So I grew up in uh, baseball country. So have you ever umpired? Uh, No, I've been on the uh, receiving end of umpire decisions. What do you mean by that? Receiving end, you sound like you're a little disgruntled. No, no. Just growing up, uh, being a, a batter, so in the uh, okay. experience of home plate umpire. So. so your experience is that you, you're not a huge fan of umpires. No, no, that's absolutely not true. I have high respect for umpires, especially Major League Baseball. I mean, we've, we're seeing baseballs thrown faster, harder, and you know, there's split second decisions that have to be made by umpires. So for me, uh, you know, I started this study really 
admiring umpires and really understanding uh, which ones were, you know, what I consider to be strong performers and which ones were, you know, average and which ones were weak. Um, and as I was just telling somebody today in, in a neurosurgery class, somebody finishes at the bottom of the class. You know, that's just the nature of the beast. But uh, so somebody has to be the best by the letter of the law and somebody statistically uh, would have to be the worst. But I, I guess my question is one of the things that you said, and I might be misquoting because I don't have the article in front of me, was um, that umpires are tending to blame managers and players for yelling at them on arguing balls and strikes. What did you mean by that? No, what I was saying was that umpires themselves is unfortunate because, you know, they're put in a bad position. In essence, you know, they're making their decisions uh, and they're having to do it behind home plate without the assistance of technology. But yet the managers and the players are sitting in the dugouts and they have the access to technology so they can actually see whether a call was 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 poor or not. And they can argue the call. And if they do, then uh, the manager, if uh, he can get thrown out. So all of a sudden, you know, the umpire on one side is, you know, not having the advantage that the managers have. And, and that was really more my point. It's interesting that we say that, the, you know, the technology, first of all, is not necessarily where it needs to be in order to be implemented. Rob Manfred made that clear during a, during a, a, a talk in 2018, uh, it, you know, that actually the human element is better than the computer element as, at, at this point in time. So I, I guess my, my question, getting back to finding out who you are, is how did an economics professor want to do an all-encompassing study of years of data uh, to find out, you know, what was the issue with balls and strikes? Sure. Uh, in my background itself, I, I did a lot with statistics in particular, and I really felt strongly that I wanted to delve into this. Um, last fall, for example, I was at a playoff game, and, you know, we had Angel Hernandez at first base, and within four innings, first four innings, he had made three bad calls. So I personally wanted to understand what is the statistical probability of so many errors made in such a short period of time. And then that kind of moved into a, a year study. And then we, as a team, we pushed it to 11 seasons. So my motivation here was really just to let the data speak for itself and just look at, you know, where the distributions uh, fell out for various umpires. I got to push back on when you say three bad calls. If you want to say incorrect calls by replay, I have no problem <laughs> yeah. with that. But when you say yeah. bad calls, I could say that uh, the right. data that you exactly. provided is bad. That's just too much of a – that's not a fair statement um, without going well, into the intricacies of all Well, actually, right. So, so, of course, getting back to this playoff game, it was the Red Sox against uh, the Yankees. And Angels' calls themselves were you know, basically replayed, and they were overturned. So they, they were actually incorrect calls. And, uh, but it was at first base. So that actually spurred the study to look at actually uh, home plate because we know the home plate umpire – they call at least 50% of all, that is, they make judgment on over 50% of all pitches thrown. So that is the critical link here to all umpires is, is really the home plate umpire. So that's really the genesis of, of why we started this study. Before you, we had, we had Dylan Yep on of Umpire Auditor. And, I, and I'm curious, um, your opinion, getting away from this study for a second on replay, are you happy with replay as a baseball fan? Do you think maybe it goes a little too far when you see a guy pop up off the base when, you know, right. when, you know that we're not taking the elements of the game as someone that played a little bit? You know, if you were dusting yourself off and you, you were off the base for a millimeter and a camera on the side caught that, 
Do you think that's what the way baseball should be? Or are we kind of going a little far with technology? Right. So my, my approach is quite different. I'm, I'm not saying you're bringing the robots and fire the umps. You know, or I'm not saying that there's going to be cyborg umps either. I'm really saying that there's going to be tech-assisted you know, human collaboration. So my view in general is that I think there's technology out there that we really should be embracing and using, but I'm not saying it's a substitute for a human judgment. You know, and it really want, isn't. Excuse me, Mark. I just want to get no. to this before um, I, we get to Gil, because I'm not a data guy. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I really agree with the technology aspect of it. I, I agree with Mark. I agree with Dylan. I just think that there is a way to do this that doesn't require replacing, you know, umpires calling balls and strikes. And my belief, and Mark, you can champion this if you want, and your next article gets picked up by ESPN and all the magazines, all the rest, um, is that why not allow, like we do in tennis, a challenge system, which would be quick, we would know right away we could do it like they do in tennis at Roland Garros or, or the U.S. Open um, that a batter, maybe a team gets three challenges on strikes. Maybe the catcher or the pitcher gets three challenges on defense. And once you're wrong, you lose that one. And then if you're wrong three times, you're done. So we can find out just how not only just how good the umpires are, but that way, if an umpire does miss 10 or 11 pitches legitimately, boom, they're getting corrected that we don't have to do this for every pitch. So, you know, when we look at the numbers that I get, you know, we almost had right after Angel Hernandez missed those calls at first base that you mentioned, he was nearly perfect behind the plate. Um, you know, he was, he was, know. I agree. And that's, that to me is remarkable from a, from a human standpoint um, to be able to do that, to, to, to miss that, go to sleep. I bet you he didn't sleep much, or maybe may, I could be wrong. Maybe he slept like a baby, but to come back and umpire that way is uh, was really remarkable. And that's what we're so negative. We, we don't focus on when somebody does well. I'm interested in this study in that I think it does point out some some great things, but I'm going to let Gil take it away because he's the wonky guy with all the data. Gil, all yours. Thank you, T-Mac. So uh, the first thing on this study, Mark, and hello to you. Uh, great to talk to you. And the first thing on the study is, you know, we've talked in the past about how there are different sources for ball strikes analysis out there, how there are different studies people who have done studies about this and they all seem to say different things um they give different percentages they give different uh they give different conclusions on on what balls and strikes are relative to the umpire's calling ability so my question then is uh what makes your study stand out from everything else that has been done out there Yes, I think that's a great question in particular, and you're absolutely correct in the sense that Major League Baseball, and you had brought this up, they claim that their accuracy is 97%, and you've even referenced studies that have suggested maybe 80%, right? So this study comes in and it says, hey, the probability of balls and strikes, uh, at least last year, was about, the accuracy was, a, an error rate was about 9.21%, right? So... <laughs> I think what really separates this report in, in the extensive study that we did is we really relied, number one, on just Major League Baseball uh, inputs. So we, we looked at all the data that Major League Baseball provided. We used their overlay for the strike zone. Uh, we didn't make assumptions uh, in regard to, for example, uh, whether the ball was one inch you know, 
outside the strike zone, whether that should be included or not. We just said, let the data decide. Um, the, the study itself is very comprehensive. It's over 11, well, it's 11 seasons, regular season games, which includes over 4 million pitches. So it's, uh, so I, I think it's hard to argue that it wasn't statistically significant, some of the findings that we had. Sure. And as far as uh, methodology, because everyone has a little different methodology, the, the data s- supposedly comes from the same place that everyone's using. And then if the studies are all saying slightly different things or the reports are slightly different, we would say that the methodology is different. So as far as your study's methodology con- is concerned, uh, what variable or variables did you guys look at to determine if an umpire's call was correct or not? Right. So there, there's two parts. There's the input data, right? And the data was from Major League Baseball. So it's very hard for Major League Baseball to argue that the data inputs uh, we were using was, were, were not accurate. They're, they represent Major League Baseball. They're, they're the data that, that they claim and they have us use as fans to, and also strike zone that uh, we observe as we're watching and sitting back on, in the, you know, basically on our couches. So, so the data itself was, um, assumed to be accurate. They major league baseball says within one inch. And then the methodology that we use is really, we spent a month collecting the data, putting it in an organized fashion. So we could compare, uh, all balls and all strikes, all pitches to whether they were in the strike zone or out, meaning to each strike, was it a ball or, or truly a strike as defined by major league baseball strike zone. And that's where the output came. So, you know, Major League Baseball, if they're claiming they're correct 97% of the time, this study clearly demonstrates that at least for 2018 on balls and strikes, uh, the accuracy rate was really closer to um, 91%. So my question is, um, I guess, uh, there there are several variables that get captured by the, um, the, the used to be Pitch FX, used to be Quest Tech, now it's uh, Trackman and StatCast and PitchCast and all of that stuff. So the data, the variables are called, they have names like PX, PZ, SCBOT, SCBTOP. Uh, there's one that's called Plate X, Plate Z. There's one that's called Game Day Zone. Do you recall which one you guys used? I'd have to go back and look. Again, this, you know, it was pretty extensive what we went through, but we uh, we used the, base, the grid. So there, as you know, within the strike zone, that's defined as it's nine stri- strike zone grids. Uh-huh. Right. So so we have, you know, looked at that specifically and, and then that was the output that we used. So we we didn't you know, I can get into maybe a little more technical. Maybe that could be a follow up or something if you'd like. Well, I, um, I, I was I thinking just, this is more about um, it's just our, more our about, output. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Figuring out what the variables are for the methods. Uh, so you mentioned zones one through nine. So that's to, to recap for everyone's. MLB assigns or MLB baseball savant, which was your, which was the your source, I I believe. Um, well, baseball savant uh, that that was correct. We used baseball savant in particular through a pitch FX, and then as well as we used Statcast, which as you know came on the scene in the last few years. Right. Okay. Perfect. Because baseball savant uh, has this function where you can search by pitch and you can scrape data, and you guys scraped a lot of data. What four million individual points of of data? That's a lot. Um, but baseball savant has a function called it has it has a function called uh, game day zone. That's the variable, and what it does is it gives a little box of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
for pitches located within the strike zone. And then it assigns a value of 11, 12, 13, or 14 for pitches located outside of the strike zone. One of the, uh, one of your findings, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into it too much because I want to center on some other stuff, but one of the findings uh, reflects that. And if, if you go to the article and you read the section called Strike Zone Blind Spots Abound that refers to top left zone, top middle, top right, etc., that's, that if, if I'm not mistaken, that's in reference to the, to the 1 through 9 and 11 four, through 14 data. Right. And I think for your listenership, too, that as you can see how complex and even the questions that are being asked by Gil specifically to me, you realize that the average fan doesn't really have access and there's really not transparency. Uh, Major League Baseball lets you download this, but really there's no analysis done. So I think that's where the power comes in, where you can increase the transparency. You can really show the, the level of inaccuracy that's happening here behind home plate. So... And and it's a good point. Is do you know is that throughout is that zone uh, because it it shows up on the internet you know like anything else that shows up on a piece of paper uh, as as a square box or a rectangle if you will, but two dimensional, not three D. Do you know if the strike zone that you guys measured all was three dimensional? It was only two dimensional. Okay. Yeah and, we yeah we we didn't assume for example, you know there there is curveballs for example that can curve to the back side of the plate and come in and become a strike right so we did not incorporate that okay so we're you you would you would you would early men earlier mentioned um that mlb says that there's a certain margin of error with uh its calls uh its computers tracking Uh, how did you incorporate error in the study well it was interesting so at first we just took the data itself and once we saw, for example, we figured out there's over 34,000 errors that were made behind home plate in 2018, we said that, that is significant. And even if we do a 20% adjustment for margin of error, and I think you'd agree a 20% would be a pretty high margin of error adjustment, we still got 27,435 uh, missed calls. So that's uh, that's just pretty remarkable. So uh, in 2011... Um, Alan Nathan, who's a professor of physics at University of Illinois, said that PitchFX has a margin of error of about one inch, resulting in pitch-to-pitch PFX deviations of two to two and a half inches. Uh, He said that it's accurate enough to get the correct strike zone at the 90% level. Um, Mike, it's it's sort of a philosophical question, really, because, you know, in 2011, Mike Fass said, that it's only 67% that's accurate within an inch, but 98 seems to be giving about a two-inch two margin of error. And then in 2017, relative to uh, StatCast itself, Sports Illustrated said the technology has a combined 1.7-inch margin of error mm-hmm. in all directions. We're talking about a game of inches. It seems rather significant to have error that high, doesn't it? You're saying the difference between a one-inch and a two-inch. Is that correct? Well, the diff- really the difference between a zero-inch error and the difference, you know, between zero and one and one and two, um, it's, it's pretty significant to have really any error and to, to sort of say, this is how the computer has determined whether the umpire is correct or not, but the computer could be wrong by an inch or two. <laughs> it's, 
Right. So so there is right, exactly. So we, we could go down that rabbit hole and say, okay, let's make some assumptions and let's say, you know, certain percentage of the of the balls themselves come in the back door and you know what is that margin of error but i th- what i don't want to have the listeners uh lose sight of is the fact there's over 34,000 errors in 2018 so even if we adjust even as i say a 20% margin of error it's still 27,000 plus errors so you know at what point it becomes almost sort of a minutia that's focused instead of saying hey this is a real problem there's a and this needs to be solved by doing something different than the way we've been doing it for the last hundred years behind home plate. One of Mark, Mark, I get it. Uh, you, it's a great talking point. Thirty-four thousand. I mean, it sounds like you should be running for Congress. Thirty-four. Just keep pounding that on the platform. <laughs> like I get it. But as someone that it's umpired for a really long time, I, I have you know, I have a question about the data. Are we taking into effect just the strike zone? We all know. I can tell you that the strike zone is three-dimensional. And not only you say fastballs, fastballs have movement. If you've watched Greg Maddox pitch, you would know, and I'm sure you have, um, that his fastball had had movement of six to eight inches, sometimes more, probably because he was scuffing it a little bit. But uh, fastballs move. Two seamers, they move. Um, sometimes four seamers move a little bit. So the idea that it's just a curveball that might clip the strike zone is erroneous, completely erroneous. And our listeners – who are usually umpires or people that are fans of baseball would know that. Yeah, I think uh, the curveball example, the reason I like to use it is because it really shows, you know, and, and someone can visually see how a curve could come in the backside and it'd be very clear that um, potentially it's a strike as it was miscalled. Or sometimes, Mark, that curveball, uh, and again, we're talking to Mark Williams, professor of economics at Boston University, joining us on the plate meeting. Uh, that curveball might bounce and it might catch the front edge of the strike zone. So that leads me to my next question. Was the data that was gathered, and I know the answer, but let's, you know, is that a that pane of glass, that two-dimensional strike zone that you guys used for your for your data, is that the front edge of home plate? Yeah, so so that's a that's as it crosses the the front part, right, of that home plate. So it's yeah. 17 inches wide, and as soon as it hits that point, that's it. So you don't, I mean, I got to ask you, you're a smart guy. Uh, you don't think that that, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I see a breaking ball that I know in my heart crosses the front knee, you know, but you just can't call it because it hits the ground or, you know what I mean? You know, or the slider, the Derek Jeter pitch that might clip the, but the catcher, you know, it's a foot off the plate by the time he catches it. So you want all those pitches to be called strikes? Well, I don't think that's really the argument of, of our study. The study was just looking at the data, and what we're really saying is, hey, look at look how many of these calls were off. And and let's say, for example, if it's a 50-50 probability, right? So we've 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 looked at these errors, and even if we'd assume that there are more balls called strikes and strikes called balls, we're going to see a distribution. And what was so interesting is what we saw was that the older umpires made more errors. So there's a trend piece here. So it's not just the absolute number of incorrect ball and and strike calls. It's the trend towards in a direct connection of age to the number of bad or what we call incorrect calls. I think one of the reasons for that, Mark, is because the young guys that have gone to the fall that have come up in AAA with this system – they call the, what we used to call the Quez Tech zone. Um, 
you know, they call the computerized strike zone, whereas the guys that came up in the 80s and 90s might not necessarily be cultured to that strike zone. But it leads me to a, an interesting point. Gil said earlier, and I've read the data here, that that the 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 computerized strike zones are as at least an inch inaccurate, 90% of the time accurate, um, and up to an inch and a half, two inches. You, you do realize that most of these pitches that we're debating are right around that margin of error. There are very few pitches that we're calling a foot off the outside corner strikes, if any. Um, you know, I think the, the worst, you know, even Dylan had to adjust his data because it was faulty. You know, the strike zones that basically the law, the, most of the pitches being called is four inches off the plate. So that data is, is compact. So to say that even 20%, it might be 60, 70% that we can't grade based on this. Just if you look at the pure raw data, am I, am I missing something, Gil? Am I missing something, Mark? So I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, the, the, there, there is definitely a compact. You look at a heat map of all the uh, distribution of pitches. We call it painting the corner for a reason. Pitchers try to throw it uh, right at the corner of the plate, get the line, but don't go too much over the line toward the hitter in, in which case, you know, the hitter might hit the pitch. Um, the corners and the edges of our home plate, the tops and the bottom of the zone, the, the the very delineation lines, as it were, and they're not exactly lines. We'll get to that in a second. Is it? That's where most of the what we would call the problem pitches are. That's where the borderline pitches are, and it's been a really fascinating thing. Uh, Mark, let me ask you a question. Baseball Prospectus wrote um, about pitch tracks. They said pitch track is is more is wrong more often than the umpire, and they referenced something called calibration error. Have you, have you ever heard of calibration error? I'm not familiar with, you know, what they have done or, or not done. Cause it, it seems like all the inside information isn't shared with the public. So, you know, right. And, and you make a very good point that in the mm-hmm. past pitch FX, the manufacturer was uh, SMT sport vision and they very readily said, hey, we have probably about an inch of error on our product. The thing came in-house to baseball and was rebranded as StatCast, and there's a lawsuit about the whole proprietary, is it proprietary to Sport Vision? Is it not? So Sport Vision is suing MLB over this. But it comes inside the league. MLB takes it in-house. We don't get public statements on margin of error anymore. We do not get that. But this is, mm-hmm. but this is beside the margin of error point. Calibration error. Um, and I'll illustrate what it is real quick, is calibration error occurs when they're first setting up the system based on putting the camera in the wrong place, having a different angle, having some sort of, when they're setting the, the program up, there could be a shift in, in the venue that causes this calibration error. The example I give is that they estimated, Baseball Prospectus estimated that the calibration errors can be up to Six inches, that was in Texas, an observed calibration area of six inches in Texas, two and a half in San Francisco, two inches in New York, NL. And this is this is independent of any potential margin of error for tracking error. Calibration error is a system-wide, game-wide problem. Now, Brooks Baseball tries to correct this by changing the PX and PZ numbers on the fly to try to adjust for each stadium. And that's a fascinating thing. We'll get into at a different time. But I was just curious if your uh, study incorporated any consideration for the calibration error that exists. No, 
No, that wasn't you know the purpose of this study at all. The the purpose was really just to look, take Major League Baseball input, put it against their map, right, of their strike zone map, and then get the output. You know, in essence, our our view was Major League Baseball has told fans like us, and has told in in media, and as we sit there and we watch on TV, we're we're told that this is the strike zone, and the reality is that uh, if, if the strike zone isn't as advertised, then Major League Baseball is misrepresenting exactly what the technology is and how they're showing this expertise in the, in, in the, in the ballparks. Meaning I think there's some false advertising going on here. So Major League Baseball can't have it both ways. So in essence, I view it as as soon as the technology was released – and they provided fans with more information. The technology demonstrated that the accuracy rate wasn't as strong. And what, what our data suggests is that this trend is very positive, that the ball and strike calling, has that is, the error rate has dropped dramatically since 2008. And I would argue part of that has to do in part because of the technology, the fact that I think internally umpires are being evaluated uh, much more stringently than they had been maybe even the last decade. And I think this has helped improve the game. But yet, you know, the discussion, I thought you were going to ask me the simple question of, is an error rate of 9%, you know, is that acceptable? Um, you know, I, I would say a 3% error rate, what Major League Baseball is claiming, that sounds pretty exceptional. Um, but I, th- I don't see any fans or many fans out there that would argue differently that Major League Baseball really is at 97% accuracy. Given and I think what that's, they see that's the concern yeah. that we all have. And that's why we have umpire blaming. And we have a whole sport, you know, Gil, that, that we, we've talked about offline of, with folks just posting videos of umpires making, you know, incorrect calls. So, you know, I think Major League Baseball needs to step up and help the fans. You know, if, um, if they provide more data that's useful and better systems, and I think you've, this recalibration aspect that you brought up is a very good a concerning point and you know if, if their ability by park is that large as well then that's very concerning and major league baseball should own up to it one of the uh one of the issues you know and you and you brought this up i'm glad you did that it, it shows that umpires are continually improving from 2008 to 2018 i don't mean that umpires are improving in their abilities per se but one of the uh possible reasons that you had brought up was the technology might be getting better Seeing as right. the technology is, you know, hasn't been there, and it, it it seems like it's still not there. We we're looking at umpires that are getting back. Do you do you think that there's a a peak that we have yet to reach with umpire accuracy per the technology? You know, given that it's already improved proved by quite a bit over the last ten years. Well, we've seen. I think it was a nice reference earlier to tennis, for example. Hawkeye has been now used. It started in tennis, and it's been used now in soccer. And we're seeing uh, the use of earpieces, for example, in cricket, and, and which, as you know, is a very large sport globally. So I, I think uh, I don't think we've peaked at, at the technology. I think it's the opposite. I think that there's there's more technology out there. I think the Major League Baseball has been very slow to adopt it. You know, the Atlantic League, where supposedly they're starting to test uh, this sort of technology, this ball calling technology behind home plate, uh, it's it's been delayed and. and 
you know, supposedly it's going to be put in place uh, June 15th or, you know, so forth, but it hasn't been done yet. I just think Major League Baseball continues to drag its feet. The technology's out there. I mean, I think it should be three-dimensional. I think the points that you're raising here in this discussion are very good about the fact that we need to have more of a three-dimensional because that is our strike zone. So let's uh, let's try to push technology and let's uh, help our umps out too. So you know, why is it the fans just know most of the ump- umpires that seem to be calling the incorrect calls more than not? Why, why don't they know about you know some of the umpires I mentioned in the study? Some of the really good names like John Lipka. You know, well, let's who, yeah, let's talk let's talk about the umpires that you named in your study. Um, you talked about the uh, World Series, and you talked and this was last last season. Uh, you you also you, you it was it was a summary of 2018 performance, and we looked at and a bunch of young guys were up at the top of your top 10 2018 performance rankings, um, and we looked at the bottom 10 and it was guys who'd been in the league for quite a bit longer. Um, one of the reasons that that T Mac had mentioned earlier is the young guys grow up calling to the zone, so they might be. They might know the ins and outs of the computer subconsciously better than guys who've been around for a while. Uh, but, you know, if, if you could, I guess, if, if you assigned, in, in, and you wrote this in your article, if you, if you could assign a World Series crew, how would you do that? Right. So I think, of course, you know, part, part of the routine, of, there's, there's four umps, right? So the home plate ump clearly is the most important umpire for the number of balls. I mean, the home plate umpire is going to call about 150 balls during a game, the meaning they'll have to make judgment on. So as a result, I would put the, the ones that have the lowest bad call ratio, I would put them behind home plate. And we have stats, and in particular, Major League Baseball should have the stats and know which umpires perform best at first, which best at second, which umpires best at third as well. So I think we have to rethink the crew. Right now, it's the crew, based on our data, it suggests for the home, especially the World Series, that it's, best, it's based on more seniority than it is on merit. And I think that's, that's a problem. You know, we, we don't have new umpires coming up through the system, meaning this, this year, 2019 season, there were no slots open for, for new, promising, you know, capable umpires. You know, the old guys kind of just filled the slots, and, and quite frankly, you know, should we have umpires who are past their prime being out in Major League Baseball? I think that's not fair to fans or players or managers. So I think that's really the discussion which needs to be had. Unrelated question, Mark. Are you part of a union at Boston University? Am I, am I part of a, a union? A teacher's union? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Okay. So one of the things that, you know, if you're a union guy or you're not a union guy, there are certain rules. You know, a first-year umpire can't, uh, can't get the playoffs. Um, first year full time call up guys cannot work the playoffs. The guy that you mentioned, uh, John Lipka, last season umpired 58 games, 14 behind home plate, has 17 career uh, appearances uh, at behind home plate in his career. He's an up and what we call an up and down guy. He's not eligible to work the postseason. Um, so, and I'm sure you would admit that 14 plate jobs, 17 in his career, is probably not enough data to find out he's the best major league baseball ball strike guy. Yes. And I don't think that's really the statement I'm making. What I'm saying is that if you look at where the performance fit, when we looked at over 89 umpires in their performance for 2018, it was very interesting that 
umpires that had 10 or less years experience, so not just the John Lipkas of the world, they tended to outperform those umpires that had 20 years experience. And, and that, that shouldn't be earth shattering, right? I mean, what the mental toughness, the physical uh, stamina that you need behind home plate, it's not surprising someone, and it's not, it should not be that we expect umpires in their 50s or 60s to perform as well as umpires in their 40s. It's just, it's not fair to these umpires. So, you know, I, I'm talking about performance. I'm not talking about unions. I'm just saying, you know, what would be best for fans? What would be best for managers? What would be best for players? And that is to get the best performers behind home plate. Yeah, so I, I don't mean, care if the best performer is, is, is 60, then no, that's I, the best I, performer. I don't care I, about age. Yeah, I don't, I don't know John Lipka. And I'm sure he's a nice guy and a great umpire. Um, but I would be nervous, as someone that has worked a little bit, uh, I'd be nervous putting a first-year call-up uh, behind home plate in the World Series. I would just be nervous about that because you need yeah, to. That, there, there are certain things you got to lead to. You know, you don't. Right. You don't so that's 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 not my point. My point is just if you have strong performance, then you should be considered and, over over the long uh, haul. I agree with that. Yeah, like like Mark Wagner. I mean, he's he's a superstar, right? He's in his forties and he continues to really perform well. So he. He, he, he's a star, and, I, and not many folks talk about Mark Wagner, and yet he is really a very strong performer. We always uh, Eric, say- Eric Cooper, he's another good one. You know, so in 2017, he just hit the ball out of the park as an umpire. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly good aspects to this data. I agree. I, right now, we're putting together uh, a replay. Uh, I'm putting together a replay stuff over since we've had replay, who's missed the most calls per game. And I think some of the numbers might surprise people. I'll give you a great example. Pat Hoberg, who would have thought that he was essentially the best uh, exempting ball strikes? He doesn't miss anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of remarkable. So there, there is data that can be gleaned from this that is uh, effective and can make umpires better. Mark, when you set off on this journey of writing this article, do you have any idea the scope and how many people would pick it up and read it? No, we were actually, you know, the group itself, we just we just were on a mission that was really just to get the data formatted in a way in which we can make it transparent and public. Uh, and I think that just speaks to the, the yearning and, and sort of the black hole that, you know, most fans have when it comes to the performance of umpires. You know, there's this emotional feeling of whether an umpire is doing a good job or not. But this this is really the first, I think, truly comprehensive study giving names to umpires, showing which ones, you know, were the top 10 and which ones were, were the, the bottom 10. So I, we had no idea that this would have so much interest. And, uh, you know, we just hope that Major League Baseball has woken up and will provide fans more transparency. And, look, Major League Baseball should just give us the data then. I think they should make that public in regard to their umpires. I think that would be very helpful. Were you and, surprised? Excuse me. No, that's it. That's that's all I was really thinking. It's um, were you surprised at all? And I know the Major League Baseball uh, uh, umpires union. It doesn't always have a great relationship with the office. But were you surprised the Major League Baseball office didn't poo-poo this study or have anything really to say one way or the other about it? Well, we were. Yeah, I was. I was hoping that there'd be more of a response from Major League Baseball that they would, you know own it, whatever that may be, or at least give us an update on the technology or, uh, you know, their position of where they want to move going forward. 
meaning more technology or keep it the same or, you know, but there was, there was no response whatsoever. Right. And, and I think part of the problem is, again, going back to the methodology of, and it's not, you know, it's not one study's methodology over another or anything like that, but just collectively speaking is the standard approach doesn't exist. There is no standard. Everyone does it differently based on what their best guess at, at how to accurately do this is because the information, as we've sort of said, is not exactly in the public sphere at all times. And, you know, I I want to go back to, again, that game day zone data. That's what, that's what you're using, zones 1 through 9 and 11 through 14. Um, and the tops of the zone, which would be 1 through 3, the bottom of the zone, which is 7, 8, 9. Those are the numbers that I'm concerned about right now. Because MLB sort of has a problem when it comes to batter height. Um, at this at this time, you know, the strike zone is defined in in rather rudimentary terms as from the hollow of the knee to the midpoint between the top of the pants and the top of the shoulders, vertically speaking. And it's captured, the language is, as the batter is prepared to swing at a pitch. And what does that mean? Um, what does that, you know, that's, that's been a matter that has been sort of confused by everyone in the sport. Does it mean as the pitcher winds up, as he delivers, as the ball comes out of his hand, as the ball's halfway to home plate, as it reaches the front of home plate, as the batter is swinging? What if the batter is taking the pitch all the way? What do you do then? What if he crouches down too much? There's so many things going on. That's what the umpire's judgment is for, for the vertical strike zone. And my concern and this shows up on every single study. My concern is when it comes to adjudicating a pitch for the top part of the zone or the bottom part of the zone, the variables that are involved, the variables that uh, you, you you guys used uh, game day zone data. And game day zone data is basically a, an algo that takes into account the existing variables of PX, PZ, or plate X, plate Z, and how they relate to variables called strike zone bottom and strike zone top. During live gameplay, the strike zone bottom and top values are placeholders. They're not observed. They're, they're actually something that someone plugs into the machine and loads it for each batter based on the average zone for the average height. Sandy Alderson, uh, formerly with MLB, once described it as two inches above the uniform pants for the upper limit. And we know if there's a batter that's five foot, it's going to be different than a batter that's six and a half foot. So two inches is not really accurate. And the problem is that the placeholder strike zone bottom and top data for any pitch that is near the midpoint, which is the top of the zone, or the hollow of the knee, the bottom of the zone, is subject to error simply because we don't have the technology or MLB has not demonstrated the technology is sufficient yet to adjudicate SZ top and SZ bottom in real time. There's something called post-game processing. Sometimes they do it overnight, and what looks like a strike that day look will actually turn into a ball overnight or vice versa. It tends to favor the umpire. The reason it does is because the umpire is calling the batter strike zone in real time, but the computer is not. The computer is calling an average strike zone. I think that gives us some erroneous numbers sometimes, and you know, and it does creep into studies, and um, you know, your study included, because, again, we're not transparent, so we don't know how that vertical strike zone actually can work in real time. Uh, do you have any idea on a solution for the vertical strike zone problem? Well, if Major League Baseball would embrace this technology 
at least for the evaluation internally, right? So we, we you know, the way you've described the, the zone system they're using right now, we can't be sure that the accuracy is there for them, right? Is that correct? Correct. correct. Right. So, and, and because there's not transparency, we, we're not aware of exactly what they are or aren't doing to, to improve the evaluation system. So they get uh, stronger feedback that they can give privately to their umpires to improve for training purposes, correct? We, we don't know how that process works. So, Right. And I think, yeah. I think that's, that's the challenge here. You know, one other thought, I, I, I don't want to sort of go off topic here, but, but we, when we think about technology, technology itself has given fans, it's armed us with more information. And I think that's the challenge. I think because we have more information and data that we can look through now, we're now challenging Major League Baseball to actually be better. than. And if you look at Major League Baseball versus other professional sports globally, Major League Baseball is moving uh, much slower than than what other sports are moving. And I think, you know, on one hand, they claim that, you know, pace of play, we're losing viewership and you know, pace of play is an issue. But yet we have the ability to improve pace of play. I'm not saying instant replay. I'm, I'm talking about putting earpieces within home plate umpires that they can actually quickly uh, call balls and strike within seconds that, you know, split second that can actually um, imp- improve performance. You know, we're also seeing the difference between the top 10 umps and the bottom 10 umps. There's an error rate of over 50% between the bottom 10 and the top 10. So I think that needs to be closed as well. Um, and I think, you know, I'm glad the union thing was brought up earlier because I think, you know, I don't know really what negotiations of the union, what they're doing, but if they really care about baseball, they want to have, they should have the best umpires out there for the, for the best fan experience and player experience. And so that's unfair, I think, to the umpires as well. And I, I think Major League Baseball, it's coming to a head. And I think Major League Baseball needs to address this problem. I'm looking at it. And, you know, one, one, one final point that I'm going to, I'm going to make is we've acknowledged that and you've acknowledged that the numbers aren't great. And it doesn't mean I'm not saying that the umpires numbers aren't great. I'm talking about in terms of actual tracking technology, the accuracy of the tracking system itself isn't there. Rob Manfred in 2018 said, and his, here's his quote, in all candor, the technology has a larger margin of error than we see with human umpires. So, we know that the tech is worse than the human umpire, and we haven't reached, and we might never reach a nexus where the tech gets better. We might, we might not. We don't know because the tech isn't there. And we're using the tech to evaluate humans, but the tech is faulty to begin with. So it's a very difficult situation uh, because we get things like a bad call ratio, which is the BCR that you put out, as much as we'd like it to say, incorrect call ratio or ICR, but whatever. Uh, But as much as the BCR has been improving, that number is still faulty and it's very misleading. You know, primarily, and I understand that, you know, you've thrown it on to MLB for not being transparent for this. And that's very understandable. But I think that there can be a lot of misconceptions with what BCR actually means, given that the technology itself isn't accurate. So the 9.21% in 2018, is it right? Is it wrong? Because we're not taking into account margin of error or calibration or anything like that, We at the, or strike zone height, at the end of the day, we don't know if that's an accurate number or not. And that's part of the problem is, at this point, we 
just don't know. And with that, T-Mac, take it away. Well, Gil, uh, that about wraps us up with, uh, with Mark Williams. Mark, we'll give you the final word. Sure. Yeah, I think the, the goal of this study was really to challenge Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball has told fans and told us as viewers on TV that their strike zone and their data is accurate to one within one inch. So we just assumed if it is accurate, then we'll use their data. We'll take the output and we'll evaluate the accuracy rate of their umpires. And so, you know, I challenged Major League Baseball to come forward if they have better data and they can demonstrate that the accuracy rate's really 97%, uh, then I'd like to see it. And I think many fans would like to see it as well. We'll leave it there. Mark Williams, uh, BU professor of economics, thanks so much for joining us. And we will be back right after this message, and uh, we'll put a bow tie on this one when we come back. You're listening to The Plate Meeting, powered by Close Call Sports. Hi, this is Jack Furlong, founder, president, and CEO of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout all capacities of sports and competition. Please be sure to check out our website at osipfoundation.org to learn about us and some of our programs, such as our blog, The Strike Zone, our podcast, How You Play the Game, our awards programs for student-athletes, and Officials Anonymous, our hotline for sports officials who deal with abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. Once again, that's osipfoundation.org. We welcome you back to the Plate Meeting, powered by Close Call Sports. It's T-Mac and it's Gil with you as we wrap things up on this very interesting and sometimes contentious edition of the Plate Meeting. So, in summary, Gil, at least this is what I get out of it. You know, you've got Dylan, who basically wants robot umpires because he doesn't like umpires. And, you know, if you talk about, you know, a little bit of the stuff that he, he tries to claim he does, but he doesn't really have a reason that he wants robots other than he just wants to get rid of humans calling balls and strikes. And he got Mark Williams, who's a great guy. Both are, both are actually nice guys off the air. We talked to him, um, who just presupposed that the data that major league baseball gave him or that he garnered for major league baseball was correct when in fact it's not. And, uh, I, I think Mark pretty much admitted as such Gil. I think the takeaway today is more than anything else, regardless of where you stand on the electronic ball strike issue, is the data and the collection methods and the the way that the public gets the info is very faulty. And the, the, the supposition that we have a little box on the screen that we can tell balls and strikes, and we've said for a long time it's inaccurate, but I think that we've proven through today's show just how inaccurate and unreliable that is. And I think it's a great disservice that these types of things are thrown out there for public consumption without any context, explanation, or disclaimer. I'm still going with the tennis method. You know, if, you, if you're a tennis fan and a player doesn't agree with the call, they immediately raise their hand up and they get a review on the big screen. And I think if you gave three challenges to the offense in baseball and three challenges to the defense – and as soon as that pitch came in and this call was made, there was no debate. You put your hand up and wanted a challenge. How cool would it be to look up at the big screen and see what the computer had? And if the computer just said, oh, we missed it, sorry, you know, for the 3% of the time that it doesn't make a call, then it it's, goes with the umpire's call. But the idea of having to go a complete 180 and go from the human element to the computer with certain caveats 
to me, uh, the technology based on what Major League Baseball is telling us isn't there yet. I think that, as Tony LaRusso said when we first got Expanded Replay in 2014, he said that Instant Replay was designed for the gross miss. Well, we don't have the technology to do anything but call out the gross miss. So if the challenge idea, I think that we need to incorporate quite a significant range, margin of error range. And when I say quite significant, that's just significant because one inch, even less than an inch here or there on a home plate, which is only a finite number of inches wide, 17, is very small. The ball is just 1.47 inches in radius. That's very small. So any deviation from that is quite significant. So yeah, take the gross miss. If it's a miss call by two inches that the computer can say, okay, we can overturn that. But if it's anything closer than that, I say we got to go with the call in the field. And, uh, you know, we talked about the expansion of replay. I, 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 we chart all the replays, Gil, as you know, mostly I do. And, um, you know, the umpiring is better than ever. Every year, it seems as though the percentage of upheld calls uh, goes up. The number of overturns goes down because the umpires are getting better. Just as though the ball strikes, the umpires are getting better. They're more cultured to seeing things that they weren't looking at before. But uh, you mentioned the expansion of replays. Another thing, you know, we watch these replays all the time. The guy's foot popping off the bag, and the announcers never invariably go, this isn't what replay was designed for. Well, it's a Pedora's box. And if you open it up to one thing, it gets opened up to so many more that you don't want it to be. And I'm, I, I really think there is a great a place for technology, uh, especially as far as helping umpires um, see pitches. There, we all know there are times that you get screened either from a batter or from a catcher. Uh, the glove gets sucked into the body. It's hard to see as we get a little more uh, wonky into how to call balls and strikes. It happens. You don't see a pitch. You know, you have to guess a little bit. You know, it's, it's, it's a type of situation that these types of things, technology can help if the technology is there, if it's proper. If we had that simulator from, from, the, from the Phil Jansen, the Grant Seacrest idea, we'd be in a very different boat right now. But we, we, we've taken a different direction, and we're now reckoning with the decision to go for expediency for broadcast over accuracy and training. So, in summary, where does it go, Gil? In the next two, three, four years, where do you see this all ending up? I see this manufacturing more controversy. I see this as a public that is keeps getting fed up with what they feel is an unfair system, not knowing how it works, obviously, because that's pretty much off limits. You don't get to discover the secret workings of this technology unless you do a lot of research. But I see more outcry. I don't know if baseball can do anything about it. I think they'll try. I think they'll try to experiment here and there, start with the independent leagues, come into uh, affiliated baseball, but only if the tech is there. And all indications to me at the moment say it's not. Will it be there in a few years? It could be, but I don't see it being reliable, even if they do try to institute an electronic method. You know what's reliable, Gil? Close call sports on the World Wide Web and social media. Check us out on Facebook at Umpire Ejections. It's also the Twitter handle, Umpire Ejections. Over 3,600 followers on Twitter. Thank you for that. Trying to ramp up the YouTube section of our website, Gil, and uh, that there on YouTube. Find us at Close Call Sports, C-L-O-S-E-C-A-L-L-S-P-O-R-T-S. Not sure why I spelled that out for you, but uh, 
on YouTube at Close Call Sports. We have Instagram for the youngins out there, Gil, do we not? We do, but I'm still trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> We're trying to <laughs> in- incorporate that as well. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll come up with some ideas. Thank you so much for your continued support. And uh, as always, um, you can check out the online store every once in a while. You know, uh, you, you think you need a new shirt? Why not check out the uh, Close Call Sports online store? It's on Zazzle.com slash store slash umpire ejections. And uh, you never offend us with cash. We appreciate those of you who give a couple bucks here or there. You can always support the UEFL by donating and uh, put a lot of time and effort into doing the best job we can. So any way you can support us is most certainly appreciated. Before I wrap up, Gil, final thoughts on this uh, very interesting edition of the plate meeting. Electronic balls and strikes. We're not there yet. That's my final thought. Be careful. Be careful about what you see out there and be careful. You know, just make sure. Question everything. Don't don't take anything on face value for granted, even our stuff. Question us. We'll be glad to get into the issues. And if there's an adjustment to make, just like with Dylan Yep with his failure to account for the radius of a baseball, which is quite a big deal that he failed to do that for all those years, question it. Because at the end of the day, we want to get the call right just like everyone else. That's a, that's a great wrap. And that does it for this edition of the Plate Meeting powered by Close Call Sports. And uh, for Gil, I am T-Mac. And for our guests, I'd like to thank Mark Williams, Dylan Yep, as well. And uh, remember, folks, when you're out there on the baseball field, always fight for what is right, not what is easy. Happy umpiring, everyone. <laughs>